This episode, the first episode of the Old Green Plane Podcast is brought to you by Silverhawk Aviation. Since 1991, Silverhawk Aviation, located right here in lovely Lincoln, Nebraska, has brought customers the absolute best experience for charter flyers all over the Midwest, of which I have been lucky enough to be one. It really is great. From a full lineup of Cessna Citation Jets to King Air Turbopops, Silverhawk Aviation gives you the freedom to fly where you want, when you want. And not only do they provide the best-in-class charter experience, again, of which I have been able to experience, it's pretty amazing. They have a neat little coffee machine. I love it. It's like literally one of the best coffee experiences you'll have around. It's just really good. I don't know. It's not. It's medium roast, and for me, I'm a coffee snob. That's a big deal. But not only do they have the coffee shop and the great chart experience, but Silverhawk is also a trusted services provider for all you pilots out there, uh, which I am not one. So from quick turns where you want to get in and get out, fuel up and get out, to FAA certified maintenance and best-in-class avionics for your upgrades, repairs, and maintenance, Silverhawk Aviation is something for all you aviation fans out there. Check out SilverhawkAviation.com. Again, that's SilverhawkAviation.com. All right. This, our first actual episode of the Old Green Podcast, Old Green Plane Podcast, our guest is Aaron Davis. Now, Aaron and Colin and I got a chance to shoot the episode about a month ago now, and it was a beautiful day, but it started a little bit cloudy. And if you don't know who Aaron Davis is, Aaron is a really world-renowned speaker. He speaks on all sorts of topics, but mostly focuses on attitude, attitude being a choice, how to alter your attitude, but he doesn't speak from one of those like high on the, you know, mountain, I know everything kind of speaker, slimy mentality. Now, Aaron, as he says, shows his wounds. And I think I'm lucky enough to call Aaron one of my friends. I got to know Aaron years ago because, well, frankly, I followed him when he was a football player. He was a member of the 1994 National Championship Husker football team right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's from Lincoln, Nebraska. So his, his roots, his family are deep, and they're everywhere right here in this city. And what's great about this podcast and the episode of Old Green Plain, the, the, the video episode you'll see here at the end of July, the great thing about Aaron, which is what I want to communicate to you, is that he's real. <laughs> because I can't stress to you enough, as I've tried to get into the speaking world a little bit more, how much speakers sometimes come off as smarmy snake oil salesmen. And although Aaron can perform with the best of them, he's one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. Aaron is real. And he talks about his wounds. He talks about his history. This episode is great. This podcast is great because he really gets into who and how and why motivates him. And he talks about how fear operates him. And so to go back to that episode when we were getting ready to take off an old 6-2 tango on that morning, Saturday morning, when we shot his video episode, it was a cloudy day. And so for you pilots out there, I imagine clouds like make you upset or make you sad but for guys like Aaron Davis and myself who although we fly in the big planes the big southwest of the world the 737s and those make us not nervous whatever reason small planes general aviation fans out there smaller planes not the 737s makes us really nervous so the clouds that day made me really happy. I actually got excited because I thought we were going to get out of having to fly. And that's why I love flying, and that's why I love this episode of the uh, of with talking with Aaron Davis. So without further ado, here's the episode with Aaron Davis.
All right, we're live. Okay. Thank you for joining us again. I'm surprised after getting in that old green plane and then getting out, you would be like, man, I'm good w- with friendship. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> but you had fun. I mean, number one, the food was great. We ate at Barnstormers in Love Norfolk. It. But, I mean, you said it before, you fly all the time. So flying's not anything new for you Mm-mm. once you're in the air it was just like normal i remember you saying that during like oh this is just actually can i tell you the one thing that um i couldn't i heard you talking in the back of the plane when we were ascending uh, on our way to norfolk mm-hmm. and i heard you talking in the back i didn't realize you were on facebook live yeah you were live on the on phone on facebook live with your followers yep that i've never <laughs> is that something you do like you were interacting with your followers and, and, and the people like on a regular basis. You know, Facebook Live is something I don't do on a regular basis, but that's something that's definitely going to change. Mm-hmm. And I figure for me, it was also a way to alleviate some of the fear, uh-huh. you know, to, to kind of distract me, if you would, you know, so and for them to see me in a real situation that is not manufactured, but, um, you know, something I didn't, you know, have a script for. Um, I was interrogating my fear and allowing them to help me through it. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that, but yeah. uh, internally I did. Yeah. We touch a little bit on when the episode comes out live, which this will come out before. So this will be what people first kind of hear. And for those that either will or won't watch the episode, uh, you came up with us on a Saturday morning, mm-hmm. headed to Norfolk and Colin Keneva, you know, obviously the co-host of Old Green Plane. And right. The, the actual pilot and the only person that... <laughs> should be in that plane besides you, our guest. Um, we headed to Norfolk, and you had mentioned before that you were like we're on the way, and there was some potential storms, or not even storms. There was just was it fog? I think. Yeah. In fact, we were we 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 rolled into Silverhawk. It was cloudy yeah. big time. Yeah. And then uh, it started to clear up. And, and you had mentioned though you were like you were kind of like hey if it I, I, if we can't go no, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I had no qualms, no reservations about not going. Yeah. But I want to say that right now. Let's think about fear. We can, we hope for clouds sometimes mm. when we have to do something, even though if they're not actual literal clouds like we had, we're hoping something comes up or, you know, there's a hiccup somewhere because it, it lets us off the hook. Yeah. You know, but I think uh, for me, it was kind of like God saying, nah, bruh, we're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, I'm going to lift this up. Don't have it rise up. <laughs> Appreciate that, Lord. <laughs> Good looking out. You know, if he all of a sudden just one day decided that the, the planes just wouldn't work, like the, that idea, Bernoulli's principle that the air pressure is greater. Yeah. But yeah, I would. See, I get up there every time assuming it's not going to work. Like, mm-hmm. I just assume that day God's going to take off. Be like, yeah, nah, you know, I'm kind of tired today. Like, I don't need this physics to work. But well, I don't know if it, it was works. Bernoulli or Ratatouille. I don't know what it was, but I wouldn't have <laughs> minded one bit. <laughs> but, dude, you know, you are a pro. I mean, again, uh, for for those that don't know, you're you're uh, you're not a professional traveler. You're a professional speaker. You speak for a living. You're you you talk about attitude. You talk about a lot of your. I mean, you mentioned during the episode your own wounds being a gateway. Absolutely. Uh, but I think what you know, uh, what you see behind the scenes, what you see in front of the camera, you're really the same person. I mean, you're Aaron Davis speaks. That guy is a real person on stage too. Mm-hmm. But I see you have like these conversations. This is this is a real conversation you and I would have on a Thursday afternoon oh, over a drink or something Anytime. like that. Yeah. So even that experience for you wasn't something new. But you get you. I learned uh, each time I get up with Colin. Like no, it is interrogating your fears. I really thought about that a lot. Mm-hmm. 
that you, you have to kind of inspect them and be aware of like, so for you, is it when you say interrogate your fears, that's one of the things you talk about. Is that about just picking through why you react to something? Are you trying to gauge why you react to the reaction of fear? Take me through what that is to you to interrogate when you feel something like the anxiety of getting into a, a 1960 four seater Cessna 182 is, are you interrogating going, why am I fearful or what, how do you, how do you interrogate? Well, it's, it's very simple. I think we can make the simple complex too often. And mm-hmm. it's just simply interrogating. Why are you afraid of this? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, how often does it happen? What's preventing you from doing it? Is it past experiences? Is it just something you're afraid of? Some people are just afraid of heights. Some people are afraid of snakes. Some people are afraid of water, like getting in the water. Um, sometimes that's been uh, uh, brought about because of a past experience they've had. And so interrogating, I, I was literally asking myself, Aaron, who knows how many flights you've ever been on? Have they all been okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But fear will make you look at the percentage of ones that weren't okay. So fear will have you looking at the very minute, minute, minute mm-hmm. thing, uh, uh, chances of something going wrong when it's overwhelmingly positive that it's not going to go wrong. Right. But often, you know, and fear is, is a facade. You know, many times. Obviously, it fears are not a bad thing either. Yeah, it it yeah. helps. It protects us too. An evolutionary. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, yeah. It protects us as well. But at the same time, you have to look at things. Is that fear preventing you from living your life to the fullest? Mm, yeah. You know, when you really mesh it down to that, what is this fear preventing me from? Yeah. You know, stand on the sidelines of life because you're afraid to get in the game. You're missing everything. Mm. You know, the Memorial Stadium right down the street from mm-hmm. here, those 90,000 plus fans that will pack the stadium this coming fall in a matter of days will never experience what it's like to play on that field unless they've done it before. Yeah. You know, so, and that's because, you know, athletic ability, you yeah. know, lots of all of us. Right, 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 right. But all of us in life have a chance to be on the field. Yeah. But too often we allow fear to keep us in the stands as a spectator. Yeah. You know, why buy a ticket to go watch when you can actually participate in this thing called life? <laughs> yeah. You know, and yeah. we can all do that. Me as well. At times we choose to stay on the safety of the sidelines or in the stands or worse shit, not even show up. Yeah, it would not yeah. even show up, which is, easy. I mean, it's just what you mentioned today mm-hmm. would have been better, or, um, yeah, about that day. You you had a post literally, I think yesterday, and you, you, you talked about openness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would that be the same as vulnerability and kind of in the same vein, or it, is that how you kind of, I'm a big believer in being vulnerable, being willing to just be open mm-hmm. to new experiences, which is even in the first place why I'm doing this thing with, with Colin and Old Green playing, because I was not open to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have rather sat on the sidelines. So to you, is openness about just being open to new experiences or jumping in head first? Take me through that. I would say in twofold, regarding the post, openness means being willing to understand that I have some fears, I have some mistakes, um, I've got some unknowns, mm-hmm. uh, but you can't repair what you're not going to examine. You know, you, which you know you, you got to be willing to open up and examine the awareness aspect the awareness, of it first, absolutely yeah. because nothing changes if you're not willing to be open and awareness aware mm-hmm. to it. So um, that open that post that I talked about is 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 very uh, synonymous with uh, interrogating your fears. You got to be open about it. You got to interrogate. It. You got to open it up, interrogate, and look at what is why is this preventing me? Why is this stopping me? Why am I allowing these things to stop me from living life to the fullest and have the attitude of a champion? Yeah, and that's that's the premise. That's your tagline, Attitude of a Champion. Attitude of a Champion. Uh, you know, we didn't get to it at all in the show, but you were uh, a Husker a f- mm-hmm. a f- for the University of Nebraska mm-hmm. here in Lincoln, a football team, a wide receiver. I, in the prep, <laughs> I saw some... <laughs> I actually finally saw 
like photos of you like you're pretty good i mean you you post photos with your teammates and with your um like now you know mm-hmm. as you've all i mean as we all do just get older and it's great to see some of those for me as familiar faces i'm a husker fan i grew up watching the teams that you played on right um but uh, that attitude of a champion it, you know talk about i'm always intrigued in how people kind of got the bug to do the thing they do that or at least where they find their passion where they find that i wouldn't say endless but mm-hmm. that wellspring of energy that gives them purpose day to day you know for you speaking spreading the notion of attitude of a champion uh you know interrogating your fears i know this is an evolution for you many years but would it was it born back from those days your playing days where did you or is it your father you know him being a mm. pastor like for you where where does it come from that you want to stand in front of people do something that most of us are incredibly scared of you know talk about flying a plane a lot of people are scared to death of standing in front of a group of people <laughs> let alone you know 3000 or you know even 90 people or kids you mentioned like you know you'll do in front of kids i'm always blown away by the high school crowds you get in front of that's something i'm very intimidated boy it's something different uh young people yeah right we'll get into that too but does it is it where does that where did that come from from you when did you realize or recognize that was something you wanted to do was it watching your dad what was it you know this is a story that i've i've recently started sharing more you know um hence going back to that post yesterday being open and broken you know my parents when i was born i didn't have a name for a while I don't mean like months or years. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a messed up situation. It is Aaron, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is your name, right? That's like your pseudo name. You know, uh, my parents, uh, deep, uh, deep faith uh, in God as well as I do. Um, my parents prayed about my name and they just didn't want to name me anything. You know, they really prayed about my name. Uh, names are huge, you know. Uh, and you go back and, and just to my roots as far as my culture in the uh, African families that when you named them something, not just even African cultures, all cultures in, in some shape, but mm-hmm. I just know my own. Yeah. Our name, when they named you something, it meant something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so my mom and dad prayed about it and they were led to call me Aaron. And in scripture, in the Bible, Aaron was Moses's brother. And he was also his spokesperson, his mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moses, when he was um, uh, commanded by the Lord to lead the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt, he, he was fearful. Once again, here's that word again. So that's why these things come together. He was fearful. He was like, well, man, I, you know, I, I can't speak well in front of people. In fact, in the, uh, the New Testament, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the King James Version, it says, I am slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue, meaning I don't talk well. And God says, and what about your brother Aaron? He's well-spoken. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents named me Aaron. And I didn't know that the reason behind my name, the genesis of my name, until after I was about one or two, about actually about two years well into my speaking career, uh, that my parents revealed that to me. Because they didn't want to tell me that, but put pressure and say, well, well this is in your we name, prayed about son. it, you're supposed to do it, man, <laughs> right, go ahead and do right, it. Right. You know, no, they, name, <laughs> they wanted yeah. to me to be led that way. They wanted to me to find my own way and for that to be something that me and... Uh, for God to lead me in that direction and not because of them. Mm-hmm. They didn't reveal it to me until two years. I'll never forget when they told me. In fact, we were it was just after church where my dad pastors at that uh, we had a discussion and we're just talking after church and my parents revealed that to me. I mean, I was in tears, man. Yeah. And uh, still get emotional at times about it. Yeah. And when I really started sharing that more with audiences and people was when I went through a lot of old things in my own life. So I was like, you know what? It's time to be open and broken. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, be transparent. Mm-hmm. Those people in the audiences, Craig, although they have their fears, I have my fears, we all do. 
if you get on stage, and we've both heard speakers and we see it online, people are, you know, those quote unquote gurus have mm-hmm. pictures of their houses, their cars, look at me, look at me. Um, there's a lot of people in that audience just can't, they'll never relate to your success or my success, whatever success we may think we've had. But everybody can relate to pain. Mm-hmm. Everybody can relate to a story of where you, you walk them through uh, uh, your scars, your mm-hmm. dark times, and you don't keep them down there, mm-hmm. but you also bring them back up. Mm-hmm. You know, so to go back to your question, I started speaking because um, it was in my heart. I would see the attitude of a champion came about because I would see how my dad, how he's lived his life. And here's a guy that came from just a horrible background in Pittsburgh, had a great family, had a great mom and dad, but just poverty. And uh, my father moved to Nebraska in 1963 after his brother was murdered. In Pittsburgh, that's right. Yeah, uh, point blank. I mean, was blown away at a bar. I mean, just shot and killed mm. right away. And my dad's oldest brother was stationed here in the military, which is somewhat ironic too. That's why that trip had a lot of emotional things for me. Yeah, because my dad's oldest brother was stationed out there at the airport in Air Park. Oh, really? Air Park. A lot of people who are longtime Lincoln, Nebraska natives know. Back in the late '50s, early '60s, all of those. That whole area was, for the most part, was all military, Air Force. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there was a lot of uh, emotional things for me flying in that old green plane out yeah. there and knowing that was that area was how my father got here in the first place mm. because his older brother was stationed right out there mm. at the airport, Silverhawk, old green plane, if you would. Think about this. The old green plane was brand new, what, in 63, 62? Yes, 1960, yeah. My father moved to Nebraska in 63. <laughs> You know, amazing. So there's a lot of correlations and a lot of uh, underlying stories that, you know, none of you guys knew that I knew when I was going up there. So the emotions were kind of all over the place. But I'm thinking if my dad overcame the fear of moving from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes. In 1963, with a ninth grade education, my father was illiterate. My mother taught my dad how to read. If they overcame all of those fears and moved to the middle of the United States where they knew no one except my dad's brother, what's my fear of getting up in this airplane? And the attitude that he took with it. My father is the most wise man I've ever met. I've ever met. And obviously I'm biased because he's my dad. My dad had a ninth education. Now he didn't have all the, the knowledge of education and books, but life wisdom, guy's got several PhDs. Mm. And his attitude was always one of gratitude. Mm. My father would tell us kids, and I'm the youngest out of six, four boys and two girls, he would always tell us to pat ourselves on the back and remind ourselves that we're champions. My dad's got a raspy voice like this. And <laughs> he would say, it. son, <laughs> hey, man, you got to sometimes encourage yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, I'm a champion. <laughs> and so that's where all that started for me as a little kid, man. And so my name and how it came about was all from my dad and my parents, man. I love that. You know, you we all think of the impact that our parents have on our lives. And you sometimes gloss over a name. Mm-hmm. You know, you what's in a name? I mean, we make a lot of oh, let me look it up online and see what that means. But mm-hmm. for your parents to be mm-hmm. intentional about uh, how they decide to choose you is sort of a. But then the other thing that's great about the wisdom of your both your parents um, is that they didn't want to tell you to sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They wanted that to be something to where. There would be something I would learn on my own throughout life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I love, I mean, you know, since the time I've known you, I've known you for five plus years now, um, you know, first obviously through more on the football side of things, getting to know you as a former 
Husker athlete and then obviously a speaker and now really colleagues working together through Amped mm-hmm. um, and, and helping teams get better. Um, I've gotten to see a lot of sides of you. The, my, my favorite side, although, you know, everybody's got sides. My favorite sides are, well, it's like right now mm-hmm. because, uh, and I, I think as I've gotten to know you over time, um, I will say, I know you've, oh, let me say this. Let me back up. I've never known someone to carry as much optimism and yet go to as many funerals as you've gone to. Mm. I sometimes wonder where you draw from the energy and the strength. And it, and it's shown me two things about you, which I incredibly um, am in, in awe of. One is that uh, you have a network and a group of friends, and I would say family, people that you've invited into your life or have done it for you to invite them, you into theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've created relationships with them on the level that if and when they die, and I know this is a morbid thing to say, that you know you go to their funerals and that to me is the measure of a human like what is the me- what it, not how many people show up at your funeral that's one i guess but mm-hmm. it's just how many people have impacted your life so much that you're moved to miss them mm-hmm. and i don't really i, I gotta say man, i haven't and i've sometimes questioned my own relationships the way i treat my own relationships i've sometimes been a standoffish person mm-hmm. you know although i'm not i'm i'm incredibly love and outgoing and right. curious person why thank you <laughs> but uh, when I look at, you know, I always go, man, you got another got another funeral today? Mm-hmm. You know, and I always thought, wow, look at all that pain. I, I didn't, somehow I flipped the switch on that. Now, I know there's been funerals in your life that are more difficult. Right. Um, obviously, <laughs> uh, we don't get into that if you don't want, but I think it's more that when I look at you and you look at the, the f- effect family, it's it's different to me when I hear it through your your mm-hmm. voice. It's family is not, it's your immediate family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your it's your siblings, it's your parents, but it's this network of people that you've gotten to know, and sadly, some of them pass away before mm-hmm. their time. I mean, how do you draw on the strength? How do you keep the strength? Because when I hear openness and brokenness, mm-hmm. brokenness, you know, I I actually can see there's someone who, I, yeah, okay, those words ring true. Some people say that, mm-hmm. and everybody's got. You're right, everybody's got their thing, but. You know, I don't know if that's one thing you want on your bio. I've been to lots of funerals, <laughs> but Aaron, it's the attitude that you've carried through all of it. That's the, that's the lesson I learned from yeah. you. I don't know. You know, I guess it's probably more of a compliment than anything, but well, you know, Craig, I appreciate it in that, um, just as far as the, you know, your, your compliments regarding my dad and my parents and, um, the things that, that they've been, uh, done their best in filming, even mis- any mistakes I've made as a, as a, as a man, a husband or a father, I can never say I learned at home. You know, I, I seen, I had great examples. Um, you know, as far as the funerals, I didn't always look at them that way. Uh, my oldest brother was killed, as you know, about six blocks away from where we're at right now on his mm-hmm. bicycle. And he was riding his bike downtown on April 6, 20, uh, 2009, mm-hmm. and was killed. And that was one of many funerals. It's, it was like 2009 was when it kind of all started. Mm-hmm. And, um, lots of very close friends. Uh, business associates, relatives, cousin, another cousin, you know, she was murdered uh, in Pittsburgh. You know, she was uh, basically like an Uber Lyft driver. On the East Coast, they sometimes call them jitney drivers. Mm. But uh, she was murdered basically for 150 bucks, you know. And uh, there were many funerals, as you know, between there after there. The one that, obviously, that you, as you know, that one that really tested me the most was when I lost my mom unexpectedly mm-hmm. in 2014 yeah. in September. Uh, 18th of 2014 and 
But the reason why I go to funerals of people, even if I didn't know the person per se, but if they were a good a relative um, of a friend of mine or colleague of mine, if I'm in town, I'm going to go uh, in that I didn't understand compassion fully until I needed it and experienced it. <laughs> there were people at my brother's funeral who didn't know my brother from Adam. There were people at my mom's funeral who didn't know my mom, but they knew me and they wanted to support me. I didn't understand compassion until I really felt compassion and needed it myself. I don't and won't forget the people who were there. I will not. No one, they didn't even know my mom. Didn't know my mom from Adam, but were there to support me and my family. That was huge for me. Some of the funerals I've been to, Craig, recently, I didn't know the person. I, I didn't know who the person was that we were sending away uh, to the other side of eternity, but I did know the person who they left behind, mm -hmm. and I seen their pain, mm -hmm. and I know how much it meant for me. And so, um, unfortunately, this last slew of funerals I went to, I knew every one of them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, some better than others, but I knew all of them pretty well. You know, that was seven of them, you know, uh, yeah, in you the past 45 mm -hmm. days, you know. Gosh. So it, it, it's been tough, but you know the thing about funerals, and not to make this a morbid thing or a depressing thing, funerals remind me that those that are still here, we still have life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the best way to honor those who have gone is to celebrate their lives by living ours to the fullest. Mm -hmm. See, before Craig, I was the exact opposite. I would shut down. Mm -hmm. I would shut down. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife and my kid would tell you I was a different person. I would shut down. I would just go in this dark place. And with, I would with stay. good reason. I mean, yeah. I don't think anybody blames people for yeah. that reaction. But and, I, and I would stay there mm -hmm. for days or weeks or even sometimes months on end. That hence why the post yesterday that I'd be up for a day or two and then, whew, I mean, just down. And mm -hmm. I wasn't like just kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, a safety crash. No, it was just down in flames. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you do that enough times, you see the, the shrapnel of it and the repercussions and the people you hurt as a result of just checking out. It makes you come to the point to where you got to take the, you got to take responsibility and say, you know, I'm, I'm open and I'm broken. I'm going to deal with this thing with grief. And grief is a thing for me that's always been tough, but I've gotten better at it. Because when you go to those things, you see people leaving here, you can't honor them if you're trying to hop in the grave with them. Right, right. You yes. know, honor their lives by living yours to the fullest. Yes, it's going to hurt. It sucks. Death is hurtful. It's painful. Um, regardless if they were 80 or, you know, or 18 mm -hmm. or 28 or 48. But you can't honor and celebrate them if you were basically with them in the grave but still alive. Right, right. So celebrate oh. their lives. Oh. The, going back a step to when you said, you know, that you've, when you felt compassion, that, see, this is, I learned something new. I hadn't seen, I think empathy is one of the greatest superpowers we as mm. humans can develop and grow over time. Mm. And a lot of people think that's something you're born with or not. And I don't believe that. I think that's no, something, either. or it's learned. And I mean, think mm. about what you, when you felt compassion from others, that it then struck a chord in you as you move forward and right. then were met with more grief and then you knew that was something they needed that I just learned something today and mm -hmm. that made me react I had a, I was not listening for a second because I was trying <laughs> to hold my own emotions back and I yeah. think and I mean you know not to make some odd connection to flying a plane like that's even there's a close, lot of connections but I think it's anytime you're standing on the edge of something that just scares you to death literally death maybe mm -hmm. um, you know I'm I went and, you know, it was Memorial Day weekend, so I went and visited uh, this last weekend, so I went and visited uh, my grandfather's grave. Mm. And, you know, just, you know, as a child, I remember my kids were with me uh, oh, this wow. time. And uh, they were asking questions. And I remember I was trying to think through what it would have been like when Craig would have walked through, you know, a 
grave site, you know, when he was a kid. Oh my gosh, look at all these zombies that are going to come up, yeah. you know? Yeah. And instead, I started to invite their own questions just so that they didn't have to sit on that mm-hmm. awkwardness because I haven't experienced loss like you. And I don't say that, and I don't say that anything but just matter of fact. And that I fear my own reaction. I fear that I would take that, as you said, jump in the grave with them reaction because I've had that reaction in the past to tough things. My mom's been through cancer twice. Thankfully, mm. she's battled and, and made it through. But, mm. you know, we all kind of assume it always is kind of lurking in the background. And the first time I remember legit just she wasn't even dead. She was still fighting. And I'm like, well, you're probably going to die. So I'm just going to hang out here and be sad and mm. by myself. And I mean, what an immature reaction. So when I hear that now about compassion, and then when I think about, you know, even just inviting some of those things to someone as young as you know 10 years old, right? just trying to make sense of where death fits in life because it's definitely a part of life. Yeah. You know, just like standing in front of the, the plane, getting ready to get in, being like, well, you can't take off if you don't get in the plane. That's first. right. That's right. <laughs> so like, I guess I could that. sit here, but no, and I think, I mean that, like you know, listening to you speak, and again, I mentioned it during the show, and I mentioned I'll mention to anybody. I've had the pleasure, and I mean pleasure, of getting to talk before you go on stage and sort of open up for you. Um, and I've oh, then I turn into a fan when you get up there. I watch, and I'm always met with, and we talked about before, so I won't. I don't want to get in too much, but it's that line that you create with, you know, I, I don't want to say fans, but audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, you're on stage, you're up above them, they're looking up at you, they're coming to watch you, they saw mm-hmm. you on the flyer, on the banner, on the website, so now we're going to shut up and listen. The lines that you you kind of just, just remove are astounding to me, and it's, you know, as I have gotten to know you, it's through this. Mm-hmm. It's through this willingness to open yourself up be it on a podcast, be it in a plane with friends, be it on a stage, be it hanging out, you know, mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, that isn't learned or that is learned. Or did you come to feel that through? Like, did you come to realize that you as a speaker, you as you had to sort of open up about those? Were you always like that? Or, you know, did your parents and your thought like, am I right to teach my kids a little bit about being open and vulnerable to those fears they might have of walking through a great, like, what is it that you should tell children? What, what would you have told little Aaron about, you know, the dealing with grief and fear and jumping on a stage in front of 3000 people or more? Like, what would you have told that child to get you ready for that <laughs> or well, could you, or is it just life experience? That's what I'm yeah, kind of interested in. I would in. say it's kind of all the above. I mean, again, I keep going back to my parents because that is how, um, it all started with me and being open about questions. My father, um, will still share the story with, with my kids now about how I would always, my dad would sit on the porch a lot at night and drink water, mm-hmm. you know, and especially, you know, obviously in the summer and the fall and, uh, I'd come out and join him because my father was a man of, uh, is a man of, uh, doesn't spends a lot of time just thinking and praying. Mm. You know, he's just, he's a very quiet man. When you get him off, off the pulpit, if he's not preaching, he doesn't say a whole lot. Mm. He just watches and just smiles. And he, he's a very, he's an amazing listener, very intuitive. Um, so I would ask my dad a lot of, I'd go out on the porch, my dad was sitting there and I'd ask him a bunch of questions. I mean, just firing questions left because I've always been a curious person, yeah, you, you know. Are, mm-hmm. And he was always open. And if he didn't know, he would say, son, I don't know. He would just tell me he didn't know, you know. But he always encouraged us, all of us kids, to ask questions, to be curious about life, remain curious about life. 
Um, so when it came to my own kids, my kids, unfortunately, have seen a lot of death, you know, of people very close to them. But I've always, just like my dad, I kept always told them, you can ask me any question. If I don't know, I'll tell you I don't know. Mm. But I'll explain the best that I can. So I, I think being willing and making, just like you did with your girls, which is awesome to take them to see a man that they'll never meet. But if he didn't exist, you wouldn't exist. So hence, they wouldn't exist. Right, right, right. So, it's, so that's huge. Mm. And I applaud you for taking them with you and making it okay for them to ask questions. Yeah. And, and, and letting them know it's also okay for you to be a little afraid to be here too. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You know, so often I think we can um, uh, shame our kids into silence. Yeah. Or just feeling grief or fear on yeah. any level. Shame on ourselves. Any level. Oh, you're not we being shame, tough. Yeah, we shame yeah. silence. No, it's, mm. it's okay to have emotions mm-hmm. and feelings about certain things uh, that bother us. Yeah. You know, um, so that all of those things help me appear. I think just life in general helped me out quite a bit as well. Yeah. Uh, but I would say all of the above. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, when I've, again gotten to know you over the years there's there's one thing about you you are definitely curious so i'll switch gears on you mm-hmm. because i am interested mm-hmm. you uh what was the first stage you ever got on or like what was the first time you ever bombed <laughs> like or you know like what oh, was it man. like do you, do you have stories where you're like i heard one the other day from uh it was tony robbins uh it's one of his i don't know something one of his guys he's speaking with nowadays but uh, i mean he's going through stuff too so i almost i don't know what to make make mm-hmm. up news in general talking to anybody right. who knows what happens in the next week or month but as a speaker the guy is unequivocally accomplished right mm-hmm. and he mentioned like inviting people out to some hotel in los angeles through flyers around come out and learn 10 ways to be better in your life and all in his 1980s mm-hmm. so there was no you know that he couldn't afford a radio commercial so it was literally just handing out flyers right. four people showed up <laughs> to oh, this yeah. room of like 200 that could fit into this hotel ballroom and four people and so he's like all right, everybody come down here in the front. We're going to do this. And he's like, screw it. We're just going to get into it. And I remember, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, if that was me, four people showed up, it'd be like, and I'm done. So I'm wondering, I'm curious, do you have any of those stories like that? Oh, oh I'm sure you do, but I'm interested yeah. to hear them. You know, I remember I was speaking a little small t- when I was kind of first getting started out. I remember speaking um, in a town here in Nebraska. And literally the stage was somebody's basically front porch. They just put basically like a, a couple platforms together. It was somebody's front porch. And it was over the 4th of July weekend, you know, just the holiday. So it was the day before the 4th. And, dude, there were clowns right next to me. There were somebody had a, one of those dunking machines right to the other side of me. And people aren't paying attention. They wanted me up there for 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, dude, I think there may have been one person out of the 20 that were watching me that was actually paying attention. Somebody was making funnel cones or something like that over right. there. And then, uh, like, literally, like, 15 minutes of my talk, Craig, uh, the little Shriners guys came by in the street <laughs> on their little uh, little mini cars. Mini carts, yeah. They're waving at me. I, I, it, it was just <laughs> like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, but you got to finish. Yeah. You know, and that it, again, it goes back to the attitude of a champion. All the all the um, uh, the elements are always the stars are going to be lined up, at, you know, in place for you. Yeah, the biggest all the time. stage. Yeah, and the perfect how are you going to deal system? when there's some conflict? How are you going to deal when you still got to get a job done? Just like the story you shared with Robbins there, you know, those four that showed up at his event. Well, they showed up. Yeah, and you give the best that you have. You know, uh, another time, man, I was speaking at a, a high school. Mm-hmm. High schools are tough. <laughs> I wanted to get into that, and I love speaking for high school students. Craig, this wasn't even like 15 years ago. It was like five years ago. Is there? <laughs> in this school, and they told me before going in, my agent who I work with sometimes, uh, quite a bit actually, 
Uh, he goes, AD, I wouldn't take this gig if I were you. <laughs> he goes, this particular uh, administration is lax to a point to where they're lazy. There's not going to be. He goes, AD, it wouldn't matter if Jay-Z went and gave a concert <laughs> and then gave a talk. They would do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, I, you know, hey, I want to go do this. Plus, I was in the area already. And then I'm thinking from an income standpoint, it's a nice pick. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, obviously, you got to take care of your, yeah, you know, yeah. your life, too. So I'm thinking, no, I'll go in. The worst experience oh, I ever why? had to speak. Why? Dude, there's 2,500 students in this, oh in this gymnasium. You would have thought it was free time. Oh, like the loud, crazy. Like oh, talking. it was. And the thing that blew me away, what? The kids, the kids are going to be kids. Yeah. They will go as far as, you know, for the most part, as far as you allow them to go. It was the administration that blew me away. They were on their phones, you know, not even pay, having their own conversations. Mm. Dude, I'm thinking, it was to the point it was so bad, I was just kind of, I was literally laughing. <laughs> just to see if everybody noticed. And I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, and I, it was to the point to where I was beyond mad. It was it was hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you the, the silver lining, and this is more than silver. Young dude comes up to me, young black kid, African-American male. He goes, my man, I needed that today. You know, goes on and just share about how he was brought up, you know, rough, rough, rough childhood. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, now, what if I would have just sacked it in and called, you know, brought my, just said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Checked out. I'm done. Saw the, saw the teachers yeah. doing their thing. Say, I'm Screw done. it. I'm not going to give my yeah. best to yeah. That young man said, I needed to hear that today. Yeah. In fact, I'll have to bring it up on Facebook sometime if I can show you the picture of it. I took a picture of this young man. And then others wanted pictures afterwards. I'm thinking, they don't even know what I even said. You know, <laughs> right, but right, that right. was the worst that it was horrible. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely horrible. Do you prefer playing or playing <laughs> performing? I hate it. I, it's not. It is. It isn't. It isn't. Oh, yeah. You want to oh, give yeah. them a good experience. Do you prefer speaking with performing to younger crowds or like corporate crowds or like conventions or like where's do you? Because the when I when I hear you and see you, you're speaking to you know the younger crowds, and uh, I I am intimidated by that oh, greatly. I I am too, How? bro. What is it? The is there a key to it? What is it? Here's the thing: adults, my adult audiences and professional audiences, they're gonna they're gonna at least look like they're paying attention, just out of common courtesy. Mm, yep. Kids, students, nah, bro. If they're, they're not into it, you're gonna know. Yeah. You know, you're <laughs> yeah. gonna know. So you have to come out swinging. Yeah. With your high school uh, and middle school students. College students, for the most part, will still kind of pay attention. They'll just kind of look at you like they're paying attention, but they'll be really on their phones. I can tell when I have their attention is when their eyes are on me and not on their phones. Mm -hmm. Or when I actually see them you put their phones. You compete with those phones. They let them have those during the thing. Uh, some places will. Not How many all. kids have them? I mean, I haven't. Oh, dude, you know, your, your kids are you know grown while almost getting there. Yeah, oh, dude, I would say out of high school students, still 98% of students oh, have phones. Now, gosh. whether they can have them in the auditorium or the gymnasium or not, that's per, you know depends school. on what school. Uh, there's some that I always do, uh, but for the most part, do you ever uh, think about like, hey, put? I know that like Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, like they're locking those up. When well, they're, they're locking them up for different reasons, and obviously, I don't have the uh, the authority like those guys to say, hey, lock your phones yeah. up. They're doing it because they don't want their material oh, good, out there shared on, on social yeah, yeah. media. But there's something too about focus yeah, too, right? There yeah. is about focus. Kids would be tougher. I would. Struggle, they would be a lot right? tougher because Maybe. I'm coming in as a stranger. They think about yeah, the day, you know, the entertainers. They paid to be there. Yeah, great. To come yeah. watch them play. Yeah. So those guys and gals that are entertainers can say, "Hey, you got to leave yeah. your phones." Yeah. Me, I'm, I'm I'm a guest in their home. If yeah. you would, I can't be telling them what to do in their own home. And and sometimes you'll have 
a disruptive student. Mm -hmm. I've had that plenty of times to where I don't say anything. I just keep talking. I let them self-govern. Because at those events, at every one of them, the other students got on them. Uh, uh. So for me, not only that, but if I got on that kid, even the kids that were disrupted and were kind of ticked off at the kid making noise, they would look at me like, well, dude, who are you? Yeah. You don't mess with one of our family members. Yeah. You know, we'll take care of that. You know, it's kind of like you don't discipline my kid, you know. Right. So I don't say anything. I just keep going. Now, some speakers, I've seen them do it and teach their own. That's not my style. Because to me, if I'm going to let, and I think a lot of it comes from an athletic background too. Yeah. Dude, when you're on a football field, there's balloons going off. There's a band that's playing. Yeah. There's a guy coming at you to knock your head off. you got to be dialed in. <laughs> right. So when I'm speaking, I'm dialed in. I don't know. If that thing's talking, I just ignore it. I just keep going. And in fact, in my corporate audiences, Craig, I tell them, keep your ringers on. It doesn't bother me. Mm. Because you know what? I understand that if you forget your ringers, some people feel so horrible. Like, it's not a big deal. Because in my business settings, sometimes that's business is calling it. Yeah, right. You know, I'm not paying them. Yeah, yeah. You that's know? how they're going to, yeah, yeah. So I let them know, don't, it's not going to bother me. I may bother your neighbor. I said, but folks, listen, it's not going to bother me. Yeah. It's, but, so right away, I seen them put their phones on silent. I said, it's okay to have your phone. It's not going to bother me. Yeah. So. It's a different day and age, though. That the, phone is. I it, mean, it, it rules everything. Yeah. But to go to your question, man, each audience, I like each audience. I can't say I like one more than the other. I like them all for their own separate reasons. Yeah. I like the uh, the middle school and high school uh, and college students because their chalkboard has still got a lot of space on it still. Yeah, yeah. You can still Bunch. hopefully, yeah, you can still hopefully leave an impact on something mm -hmm. on that board, their their minds, yeah. their hearts, their souls, if you would. Uh, corporate audiences, I like those because I'm real with them about real life issues they can get because I understand behind that nice suit that you have on, and that nice uh, professional power blouse and uh, 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 pantsuit, whatever you may be wearing, yeah. I understand there's a real person behind there. Right, yeah. Because I, I, I'm also up here with you, so I know everything is not always the way it should be, the way it perceives to be. So I like each audience for their own separate reasons. Yeah. Little kids, and very rarely anymore, but a lot of times, sometimes they'll ask me to speak, can you say a few words to the kindergartners or the, the middle? You know, <laughs> That's to gotta, the, that the, would be the, fun. I would, those are I so I have little fun. kids, so yeah. Yeah, so you get it, because then the thing about I like still doing those occasionally is they remind me to remain curious still mm. and to think anything's possible mm. and to to laugh and to be at, uh, at all about life, if you would. When they put on my ring, my championship rings, or they, I bring my jerseys, and obviously this is mostly Nebraska-specific because Nebraska football is so prominent here, just to see them just look at it like it's a, a golden stab. or Yes. Uh, they're just an awe bite. I remember that was me as a kid. Aaron, don't lose that at 45. <laughs> you know, keep don't, that curiosity. Yeah, keep that That's great. That thirst and passion for life and for new things. Mm -hmm. So, One is a father of now kids who are, uh, well, two of them in college. And your youngest, Naya, she's sophomore. She'll be junior. a sophomore in high so school. So you, yeah. you, you definitely have don't have that young little brain running around. And so you're right. I do find a lot of things that they question life on uh, or with me <laughs> hey dad mm -hmm. why are we doing this today mm -hmm. um I, I try to translate that um there's one more thing i do want to mm -hmm. talk about because we'd be remiss if we didn't chat because i do have you here and you are <laughs> obviously a, a football aficionado having played uh for the huskers in the mid 90s mm -hmm. and won a national championship you mentioned mm -hmm. before 1994 now um you know the football team we're sometime out from the season starting but Less about like the prospects Two of the season. Two, Two months. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that done on a calendar too. <laughs> uh, I'm excited this year more so because I just heard a lot of talk about the culture of the team. Mm. And that's kind of what I was interested. I haven't really talked to you in a while. If there's anything you've been listening to here. And I, I'm fascinated by culture because that's, you know, that's with what we did a lot with. That's what you speak a lot with teams, how to build better culture, how to build better workplaces. I see a lot of parallels between the work that Scott Frost 
the head coach the, the, of the football team. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Cook, the head coach of the, the volleyball team. It's not just one, you know, a sport that's that's got the the best way to create culture inside right. of a team. But uh, there are, there does seem to be some similarities. Um, but I want to focus on football. What like what the things I'm hearing from outside in is that the culture is finally starting to really create sort of a self-sustainable model like, oh, we do this for each other. Kind of like that example you gave earlier right. with that kid. A little bit. Hey, right. don't worry, we got it. Is that's That's what you experienced when you played for Nebraska. Like, you guys kind of all self-managed and self, you know, kept everybody on the same line, right? Like, isn't that really the best way to create, even for a workplace, mm-hmm. that the, the, the workers, the employees, the mid-level managers, you know, that, that are really the performers day-to-day, mm-hmm. they take ownership, right? That Do you find that to be kind of a unique I do. pattern amongst all great teams? You know, the thing about it, um, Nebraska, and that Scott, Coach Frost, and his um, his his coaches have brought back here to reinstill is to play for Nebraska, not at Nebraska. Mm, yeah, when just you that play simple for word. Mm. Nebraska, you play for something. You put everything out there. Well, you're just kind of out there. I mean, you're not much different than fans as far as that goes. Yeah, just jerseys at, are cool. Yeah, all this Adidas stuff. Yeah, right, right. You're at a game. Yeah, they get to come watch me. You yeah. play for something. Uh, the results are going to be, I mean, starkly different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a service mindset too, right? It's kind of a little for is like I'm doing this for something and bigger than me, kind of. I would say service to an extreme degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that uh, you pay homage by your play, you pay homage by how you practice, you pay homage by how you lift, mm-hmm. you pay homage by how you perform in the classroom, you pay homage with every rep that you're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you play for something, you pay for you pay homage as well. I would also say chaos sometimes comes before culture is established. <laughs> and I like to use the term chaotic. It's chaos, but it's orderly. <laughs> chaos is when you have That's the number good. of players who transferred, uh, the guys who are getting hurt um, during winter conditioning yeah. this time. I mean, last yeah. last, last winter time mm-hmm. they first checked in. That's all chaos because when you create a culture, you have to. It's kind of like when you're purifying gold. You know, you kind of hear that you're sifting out the impurities. Mm. And by no means am I calling the the individuals who left impurities, but I'm saying you're going for those who purely want to win. Yes, in the model that you're creating. Absolutely. Under, in, under so there's when they're in, when you're when that when you're burning that gold to sift out all the impurities and all the other stuff. It's a it's a hard process. Yeah. You know, it's hot. Right. It's right. uncomfortable. Right. But you have to get the pureness of your program your company, your team, your culture, by making it go through the fire. That chaos is that fire. Yeah. So you're sifting the seeds. It's like back in the day when they would sift wheat, they'd throw it in the air and they would sift it and all the other stuff that wasn't part of it got went blown in the wind, if you would. So it's never an easy process, but chaos usually comes before culture is established. Mm. And so they're still, uh, they're finding out who's who, who's really willing to play for Nebraska, not at Nebraska. So they're sifting, they're purifying that gold, that mindset, that DNA, who wants to be part of it? So all of us back in those days, Coach Osborne and his team for years, you figure Coach Osborne was the coach, you know, from uh, 70, what, 72, whatever it was, to 97. Yeah. You know, so that was 28 years of stability. Right. So where you didn't have to really, there wasn't a whole lot of chaos. Now, there was, you know, there was off-field things. Yeah. And, you know, just regular things you go through as a yeah. college program. Yeah. That's going to happen. Right. But everyone knew what the culture was. Everyone. I mean, from... Uh, Shep, who was God rest his soul, who was at Nebraska for years as a groundskeeper, to the AD. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew their role. 
and not just knew it, but embraced it. Mm -hmm. Because we realize that small job we may be doing is part of a bigger cause. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. playing for, I'm working for Nebraska. Yeah. I'm not just here, I'm working for. So it permeated our entire culture and DNA. And I think what's refreshing to me, which I imagine for you has got to be refreshing because, you know, that's the generation and the experience that you had when you played is that for this generation of young players, because this is the generation that I see a lot, you know, millennials and all those words is such a negative word, which I get tired of. They're hung. This team was hungry for it. It oh, felt yeah. like these athletes were hungry for this type you of know, cause. It doesn't matter what you, you know, back in the day, you look back when people, when Elvis came out, you know, and look, looking in history and talking with my parents and. Uh, the adults at the time said, oh, Elvis is going to ruin our kids. Mm -hmm. Elvis music today is, is gospel music compared to what's being out there today. <laughs> right, right. You know, so right, it's up right. to us as adults to make the adjustments in how we raise and bring up our kids, uh, both as professionals and athletes, et cetera. And to your point, Craig, you bring up a good point regarding millennials uh, and Generation Y, if you would. Oh, this is the trophy generation. Well, here's my question to that. Who's giving out the trophies? Yes. The yes. adults. You can't bash that. a behavior that you've cultivated yeah. and created. Yeah, created. Yeah. You've created that culture. Yeah. So at Nebraska, you know, people could say, well, man, you know, it was a lot different, you know, in the 70s. Those guys, you know, were just coming out of the Vietnam era. They were toughing. All oh, the 80s kids, oh, man, those kids aren't just going to get it because, you know. No, no, it's about who's leading you. Mm -hmm. That's the key. It doesn't matter uh, per se what's going on in the culture. Once you've created your culture within one, that's what they buy into. Yeah, yes. You know, so although... Uh, um, you know, this is a generation when they have cell phones and everything else. Well, we had pagers back in the night. People figured, oh, the pagers going to destroy our kids. Yeah. Well, no. TV. Was, TV. You know, when TV came yeah, out with a billion channels. Yeah, right. No, it's up to you to regulate and control that environment. Yeah. And to establish, like we talked about, culture, what's going to be tolerated, what's permissible and what's not. It comes down to culture once again. Do you think, uh, what do you think, the out, not that you're a prognosticator, but how do you think the season's going to weigh? We can cut this out if you're way wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I honestly think we win nine or more. Yeah, it feels like I honestly like that. do. I yeah. seriously think we win nine or more games. Um, there's going to be a few games on there. You know, obviously you want to take all of them serious because you have to. Yeah. I mean, any given, uh, given day, anybody can lose on any given Saturday or Sunday if we're talking about the NFL. But I, I really think uh, Nebraska um, – you notice after that Michigan game last year, Nebraska was a different team. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, they were a different team. Uh, should have beat Ohio State. Um, uh, should have beat uh, Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Should have beat Iowa. I can go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, should have, yeah. could have, would have. That's in the past. We don't think yeah. about in the past. So I know it's there because, again, that, that sifting, that purifying mm -hmm. of the goal, if you would, their mind, their mentality, their, uh, their physical shape, et cetera, their strength, those things are starting to, uh, to come out pure now. You yeah. Know, they're starting to see – who's really committed yeah. uh, to playing for Nebraska. So I really do see them winning uh, at least nine games or more. I, I just don't see less. Obviously, we all could be wrong. But uh, I just see from what uh, – and I haven't even been to a practice. I haven't been to Nebraska football practice in years. Um, I grew up down there yeah. uh, for the yeah, most part. that's right. I you know, my oldest brother was an equipment manager when he was in school mm -hmm. at the university. So since 84, if you would, from all of the blood. 90s, I was just, I've been down the stadium, mm -hmm. worked at football schools when I was a kid. Coach Solich, former coach of Nebraska, gave my first job. Mm -hmm. uh, growing up, I was a ball boy for the Nebraska Big Red football schools. So I've seen a lot go on down there. And so I don't have to go to a practice to see what I see uh, on the field and what's yeah. being reported, uh, et cetera. So I'm, I'm really excited. It's good to have Coach Ross back home. Uh, coach Ryan Hill, the running back's coach, is yeah. a good buddy of mine. We both were here at Nebraska together as receivers. And just all those guys that he, he's brought back. Uh, understand that what it means to work for and to play for yeah. and to coach for Nebraska. Mm, that's great.
Aaron, thank you for Very coming. Real, man. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate your time. And you said at the beginning that you know we become good friends, no brother. You like my one of my best friends, a brother. More I than that, brother. You know, I appreciate. It. You know that means a <laughs> lot to me, dog. man. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to say too before we. Uh, is there anything you want to push out there, people? Uh, we'll have all the links and all the fun stuff for your Instagram. Anything you got going on? You just want to let people know so we can get the word out. Uh, you know, I got a book that'll be at my time. This hits to all of you. I'll have a, another book out, and it's gonna. It's really? called. Yeah, it's called Wisdom from the Man with the Mop. <gasps> Wisdom from the Man with the Mop. Stories from your father. Kinda. Stories from my father. You know, oh twenty-five tips regarding customer how to improve customer service and improve your life. Oh, I'm excited yeah. about that. A yeah. uh, long time coming, or is it for you? Uh, you've written yeah, it's been two a long other time books. Coming. I know you. I for sure. Yeah. I read one. Written I mean, two this, others. Yeah. This one is going to be. Um, this was one because it's about my dad. Yeah. Is one that means the most to me. Yeah. You Without know? a doubt. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. That'll be out. By, like I said, by the time this airways, it'll be available. That's awesome. We're definitely going to make sure people have access and ability to check that out and get it. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to be reading it. I Appreciate heard it. stories today. I heard stories I haven't yeah. heard from you before. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm <laughs> even more excited. I think those who are listening. I think. I mean, it's. I think the, these opportunities to get to know maybe someone they're familiar with. Oh, I see you, this person on Facebook, or I've met them randomly at a mm -hmm. thing, and. There's just more layers to us all. Right. He's got to take time to listen. So I'm glad that you took the time with me today, man. Absolutely. So anyways, we'll talk soon. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks again, bro. Thanks right. so much. Yep. You bet. Mm -hmm.